بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and a warm welcome to another Tuesday morning program today on the program we're learning more about living the legacy but we're exploring one aspect of travel and dietary intake Many holiday destinations across the world have started to invest in Muslim tourism. Countries, for example, like Japan, that in this quarter have started the transformation to be a destination that would entice Muslims to come and visit and explore and enjoy Japan. Many of us uh, will be heading or have already begun, perhaps, with our annual holiday destination at the time that program is. So today we're going to speak to someone who has more information on this, more expertise on this topic. Today we're speaking to a, an international chef. What about food and the concepts of halal friendly? Our guest today was recently appointed the national chairperson for South Africa Chefs Women in Culinary. She's also the vice chair of the South African Chefs Gauteng committee. In addition, she is also certified by the Emiratia Culinary Guild and is also one of the few chefs in South Africa certified by the World Chefs Association in sustainability education for the culinary in, um, industry. Our guest today is a guest lecturer and an international chef, alhamdulillah. Our guest today is Farzana Alvarado, a former marketing strategist in broadcasting who's worked for global brands overseas. This includes the Walt Disney Company, where she was marketing supervisor based in Europe. Farzana has now, after almost 20 years in the industry, changed her career, a change in her career, and that led her to culinary school, where she pursued her dream of being an international chef. MashaAllah, how inspiring. We're going to find out more today all about travel and the concept of halal-friendly food. Farzana, assalamu alaikum and welcome to Radio Islam. Wa alaikum salam. Jazakallah for having me on the show today. It's such a pleasure and it's so fascinating to learn about um, your, your, your career path, where it's taken you and where you are at now. Such a gem and a, an asset to our community, especially to our Muslim community. Alhamdulillah. 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 All praises is due to Allah. Without his uh, guidance, I could not have made this change in my life and pursued a different career. Um, a, a, specifically a career that is not, has always been a very male-dominated industry. So to be a woman and be a Muslim woman in this industry, I set as a platform to really do good for my community, share information, and of course, you know, just have a little bit of fun doing what I love doing, which is cooking and cooking professionally. Fantastic, mashallah. Beautiful. So I'm sure that in your years of um, your previous career, your current career through life experience, you've had the opportunity to travel and visit and live in many different parts of the world. Um, so if we could focus a little bit on the tourism, Farzana, why is it that Muslim tourism is becoming such a big investment for many of these countries where in the past it was such a challenge as a Muslim to travel to uh, in terms of halal cuisine, halal food, in terms of just being Muslim friendly, so to speak. So why is Muslim tourism such a buzzword and an investment monetarily for many of these countries like Japan, for example? 
A couple of reasons why, and I'm very glad that you've focused on this topic. I think primarily one of the biggest reasons for Muslim tourism or halal tourism is the rapid rise in the global population of Muslims. Um, Islam has been spreading rapidly over the past, you know, a good long while, but specifically over the past uh, 10, 15 years or so. And um, we find that there are more people cross-pollinating in the sense of refugees from Islamic countries or Muslim countries that are spreading around the world that, of, of course, needs to have their needs met. They need to have the right type of food, the right type, right type of lifestyle. But more than that, I think there's a massive global shift towards the number of people who are embracing Islam as a faith. Um, you know, one would refer to them as reverts, but in countries like Brazil, in Mexico, um, the United States, for example, it's been a steady, steady rise in the number of people embracing Islam as a faith. And as a result of that, the global trend has been to recognize that this huge shift is there, this new population is there. There are approximately 1.8 billion Muslims in the world today compared to, you know, many years ago where we had, I think we had just reached the billion point, but 1.8 billion is a significant number. And as a result of global markets opening up, more people are aware of things through social media and they're aware more specifically from a monetary aspect that the halal tourism or the halal con consuming sector is almost in the region of approximately 200 billion US dollars. So it's massive capital gains, it's massive money to be made and so people or industry realizes that if they don't cater for Muslim community they are literally well, number one, cutting their profits, but also they want to create a sense of of giving to a community because once you have a customer that you provide for and you provide well for, that's a customer for life. You're going to go back to the same restaurant, you're going to go back to the same hotel because essentially you've had your needs met. And I think with Muslims, it's not just about food and beverage when it comes to halal. It's more than that. It's a lifestyle. It's having access to religious facilities, prayer facilities. It's having, you know, for example, when I lived in the UK, I moved there um, in 2004 and I was there for a good couple of years. At the time when I moved there, I would have to take two buses to get to an area where I could purchase halal meat. So I became largely pescatarian and vegetarian because I found that, you know, to, have to travel that far just to get halal chicken, it just was not worth it in the end. I would rather change my way of eating to make life a little bit more convenient for me. Now, if I have to travel to the UK, I can pretty much get halal at most of the supermarkets, which is a massive shift. And that kind of commercial shift shows us that the halal spend or the spend of the halal consumer has got a lot of value worldwide. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you, you've touched on this before, uh, Chef Sana, and we're going to ask you once again, why is halal friendly not a friendly option for Muslims? And perhaps if we could ask you to elaborate a bit on kitchen safety. Absolutely. So I'm going to be very upfront and say that I am not a halal authority at all. I'm purely speaking based on my experience working as a professional in the food and beverage industry. Now, when it comes to halal, it's very simple. From what I've seen behind the scenes, there is no gray area. It's black or white. It's either halal 
or it's haram. And, you know, when I made this statement last year and I came out and said it, I did ruffle a lot of fre- a lot of feathers. A lot of people were very upset with me. And Muslim people were very upset with me. How can you say there's no such thing as halal for I'll tell you why. Behind the scenes, there is a lot of contamination that happens. Simple things that we take at face value. For example, you may go into a restaurant that is not certified halal and think that ordering a plate of potato chips, fried potato chips, might be a safe option. Potato is a vegetable, right? It's fried in oil. Again, a vegetable substance. Again, the oil may not be a vegetable substance. Sometimes they use things like duck fat to fry their potato chips in high-end restaurants. Alternatively, the oil has been used for something else. So I was working at a five-star hotel here in Johannesburg. I will not mention any names. And when I started doing my internship, um, my eyes opened within that very first week. We would have Muslim customers coming in, very often Muslims from the Middle East coming to Johannesburg for business, ordering simple stuff that is vegetarian. But I've often seen potato chips being fried in the same deep fryer, in the same oil that the pork schnitzel has previously been fried in. So contamination is happening across the board, and it's always possible that it's going to happen for a very simple reason that very often there are no Muslim people in the kitchens to kind of oversee that contamination doesn't happen. Very often the staff is ignorant about why halal and non-contamination is so necessary for the halal consumer. It's a case of it's just the oil. It's just Mm. you know, it's that kind of attitude. So I think that education is really lacking. I'm working very hard behind the scenes to try and change things and bring in more of the education into why halal is so necessary. If people want to keep up with the global trends, I think that restaurants, establishments, hotels really need to get on board and cater accordingly and have some sort of basic education in in place for their staff to understand contamination, non-contamination, halal meat, halal certification, the basic things that are going to be important for a halal consumer. Um, things like halal friendly. If an if establishment says that they're halal friendly, it generally means that they are procuring or purchasing their meat, their chicken, their meat, their lamb, their beef, their duck, you know, their turkey if need be, from a halal certified supplier that's been, you know, certified by the proper halal authority in a city or in a country. But it also means that they are also catering to non-halal consumers, meaning the kitchen inevitably will have pork products, other non-halal meats, and also alcohol. And so their way of saying halal friendly means it's okay for you to eat here because the meat is certified halal, but we can't guarantee that that contamination is not going to happen. And very often when there is contamination happening, and you might see it, for example, you might have a pizza, you could accidentally turn it over and see, hey, there's pork on that pizza, there's ham stuck on the underneath because you're using the same pizza oven, the same pizza, you know, um, pizza cutter. That's the kind of way of saying, oh, but we told you it was halal friendly, it wasn't halal approved. So, you know, there's, there's lots of, they create lots of gray areas where there actually shouldn't be lots of gray areas. And there are a lot of things that we as Muslim consumers can do to, to protect ourselves and make sure that we're eating something that is completely halal. For example, if it is a non-halal certified, look, I'm not going to say that you have to go only to a halal certified restaurant. I can't say that because I cannot tell people what to do. At the end of the day, the consumer will make the decision that's best for them at any 
specific time uh, and place. We get very often Muslim people that are traveling and you might go to a city where you can't find halal and you may opt to go into a seafood restaurant or into a vegetarian restaurant or one where you have a vegetarian option on the menu, for example. That seems to be the safest one. But then it always comes down to communication and asking the right questions. For example, if you order a pizza and you know that ham is possibly served in there, what I normally do is I call to speak to the manager or to the, the maitre d' and tell them, look, I'm strictly halal, and if you make the pizza for me, can you please put a piece of aluminum foil at the bottom underneath my pizza before putting it into a communal pizza oven? Or specifically wash and sanitize my pizza cutter before cutting my pizza. And most recently what I've been doing is I basically ask them to bring my pizza to my table uncut and I slice it myself. Then I know that there's no contamination. So there are things that we can do by just keeping our eyes and ears open. For example, salamanders for grilling of a toasted cheese sandwich. I always ask them to wrap my toasted sandwich in aluminum foil and then put it into the salamander. It has the same effect because the aluminum foil is going to actually transfer that heat and grill that sandwich. So you are going to get that lovely gooey melted cheese, but again, with no contamination. So there's lots of things that you can do. And I think it comes down to asking the questions. Always say, are you frying my fish in the same oil as other meat products? What meat products do you have in there? I recently went into a fish and chip shop, which seems like a very safe option. And I think because I'm always aware of kitchen equipment, I kind of peeped over to see what each kitchen equipment was there. And I happened to notice that there were two deep fryers because it was an open plan kitchen. And being in the food industry, I looked at the menu and I thought, but you've got three items on here that are being fried. Your fish, which was the cake, your potato chips, and you've got Russian bangers. So if you've got two deep fryers, where are you frying one of them? And on inquiring, where do you fry your Russian bangers? I was told in the same oil as the chips. So, you know, it's always advisable if you're traveling to a country where your chances are of not getting a halal certified meal, or even in South Africa, where that might not be a possibility. You might go to an outlying area, a rural area, um, out in the Kruger, always ask the questions. It doesn't hurt. And if they want to keep you as a customer and keep you happy as a customer, they will do what it takes, even if it means frying the chips in a separate pot in clean oil, which is something I recommend asking for anyway. Mm, fantastic. I've just taken out so many notes from what you said. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Um, Chef Sana, you know, more, more than anybody else, you would know exactly, as you, as you mentioned earlier, what's happening behind those kitchen doors. And if we also look at online options, we're seeing that many hotels offer what they call a halal option. But how can we as consumers, as travelers, um, and you, you alluded to this, but how, any other tips? What else can we do to find out if that food, uh, those drinks have been prepared according to halal standards? Uh, if there's a possibility of cross-contamination, you mentioned the, the oil being used. Are there any major key factors we should be looking out for, whether it's food, whether it's desserts or starters? 
I find that very often in in different countries. So I, you know, Alhamdulillah, I have been blessed to travel to many different countries. And in a very short space of time, I was able to travel to about 72, 74 different cities, some crazy number like that. And at the time that I traveled, you know, halal wasn't as widely accepted or widely known, especially in Western Europe. So there are certain countries where it's going to be very difficult to find, but you can find it if you look. Online is often a very good portal because they should have halal options listed online, halal restaurants, halal um, hotels, and so forth. If you are unable to find it, I always have a simple rule. When in doubt, leave it out. If you're not sure and if it makes you feel uncomfortable, obviously don't eat it. Um, Fruits and vegetables are a very safe option. If you are able to purchase it and cook it yourself, that's obviously a very good option for self-catering. But if you are not self-catering, it comes down to asking the right questions. And if you are, uh, you know, a bit wary of having to explain, explaining to people what halal halal is often is very beneficial because you are educating them. But at the same time, if you find that there's a language barrier, Say you're vegetarian. You know, just say I have a largely vegetarian diet. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying say you're vegetarian if you're not, because that would be a lie and that would be haram. But say you want a vegetarian meal. Say I would prefer to eat a vegetarian meal at this establishment. And then ask them, do you prepare it alongside the other meats? Is my vegetables grilled on the same platform or the same grill as a meat product? And, you know, you can gauge that kind of thing because your menu will tell you what it is that you're going to be having. They generally put a description. If you have a, you know, a, a, a Tuscan chicken, for example, your menu would say that it's chicken that's simmered in cream, with, you know, and whatever else ingredient is in there, it should actually specify. And I think, you know, if you find that you are you do get a plate where a meat that shouldn't be on there is in there. Rather, check the food before you actually eat it. I mean, I've previously ordered baked potato with a cheese sauce on it, and when it came to my plate, it had little pieces of bacon in it, and that wasn't specified on the menu. Now, because I ordered baked potato with a cheese sauce, I cut into it quickly just to check that everything's okay on the inside, and I you know, was luckily able to see the little pink pieces of bacon, and I didn't eat it. Sent it back to the kitchen, and asked it to be prepared separately, and they were happy to to comply and do it for me. So it's just a case of keeping our own eyes open and asking the right questions and asking as many questions as you can. Um, Non-English speaking country, I would say go for pescatarians of seafood or, um, and of course with seafood, inquire from them whether they've got wine in the seafood sauce because generally, especially in Western Europe, they do use alcohol in the, in their, you know, production of a lot of the seafood dishes. So you always ask. And we know as Muslims what the guidelines are, what we can and cannot eat, what we can and cannot drink. So it just comes down to asking them to be specific and ask them specific questions because obviously it's in your best interest to eat the right thing for you. Now, for example, if you're traveling to Western Europe or Italy specifically, um, and, you know, you come across things like pizza, pasta, and even the cheese in a cheese sandwich or, or a cheese um, bagel, for example, inquire what type of cheese it is and what type of rennet is used to set that cheese. Now, every product in the entire world, whether it's South Africa to China to Japan, by law, you need to have your ingredients listed on the packaging. And there's a couple of reasons for that. We need to know how the product has been produced, but also there are many people here that have different allergies. And for health regulations as well, ingredients need to be listed. 
For example, cheese in Western Europe generally, generally is set with either a bolfine or a pork rennet. That's the setting agent that creates the texture or hardens the cheese or holds the actual cheese curds together. Um, so the rennet is very important. And if you are in South Africa and you're purchasing cheese as well, always turn over. The best option is look for a halal certified cheese. If it's not halal certified, check the rennet. Now, there's a couple of different types of rennets. The bovine rennet, the pork rennet, and a vegetarian rennet, or a microbial rennet. If it says microbial rennet or vegetarian rennet, you can definitely eat those. Microbial is generally produced in a lab using microbes, and vegetarian obviously is derived from plants. Bovine, it would definitely need to be certified halal because it comes from cow, and pork rennet obviously abstain completely for obvious reason. So, I mean, those are things that we need to be looking out for. Um, I think cheese is something that people take at face value that it needs to be halal. No, it needs mm. to be the right type of cheese, the right type of rennet. Um, soya sauce, for example, there's a massive trend towards sushi, and I find that more and more halal consumers are loving to travel to places like Japan or even in SA where, you know, high-end sushi restaurants are serving premium sushi. Look for the soy sauce. Check that the brand of soy sauce is actually not containing any alcohol because the fermentation process of the soybean itself to make the sauce can cause an alcoholic reaction and produce alcohol within that soy sauce. So always read back to see that it's 0% alcohol. Um, you also have a lot of people offering beverages that say 0% alcohol beers, for example, or um, most recently I've seen what they call a, a halal champagne uh, or a halal wine. I'm not entirely sure I'm comfortable with the usage of those words. Beer is a specific thing that is alcoholic. Wine is a specific thing that is alcoholic. Um, you could look for something that's a halal pressed grape grape juice, which doesn't have the fermentation process, meaning no alcohol, and the same for beer. Now, when you see those things um, that are labeled 0.0%, generally, it always has a 0.5% of alcohol content. So it's very, very important to read the back and read between the lines. The small print is really that important when it comes to beverages. If you're out and about, always ensure that the bartender knows that you are completely not consuming any alcohol and that not any bit of alcohol or bitters or anything like that needs to be put into your drink. Always ask for a mocktail and for a non-alcoholic version. How interesting. Thank you so much. Again, so much for us to to benefit from uh, and, and lots of practical advice. Um, Chef Sana, what about if I were going to a Muslim-majority country, going to somewhere like in the Middle East or somewhere like um, Southeast Asia, Brunei, Singapore, one of those type of countries? Uh, is there anything in particular you'd suggest or advise that we look out for in Muslim-majority countries as well when it comes to our dietary intake? Absolutely, because remember that Muslim-majority countries also have large amounts of expats there. I was in June, I had the opportunity to attend the World Chefs Congress in Abu Dhabi, and uh, it was my second time to the UAE. But what really, really surprised me this time around, even though it's a Muslim-majority country and most restaurants serve halal, you will find those that cater for an expat and non-Muslim community. So I did see pork on the menu. I certainly saw, saw lots of alcohol everywhere, far more than I had expected. 
expected. And I have to say, it did shock me quite a bit. Um, you know, so you do still need to have your finger on the pulse and ask those questions and keep your eyes open. Countries like the Far East, Japan, China, Korea, Vietnam, they use a lot of things like fish sauce, which is a, a marine product. So obviously that is okay. Fish we can have. But countries like Japan have products like mirin, for example. Um, they say rice wine vinegar. Now, the reason wine is there for a reason. When those husks of the rice are removed and those rice grains are processed to create mirin, it becomes an alcoholic beverage. And many of these countries, because they have traditional recipes, they use these products. Remember, these are not Muslim-majority countries, and they've not had a massive uh, increase in Muslim population as such, nor has it got Muslim roots. So, the, their age-old recipes will still apply, and their ways of fermenting to create different sources may create a fermentation process that yields alcohol in the final in the final product. It might be a very small, tiny amount, but it's still there. For example, there's a very well-known Singaporean brand of soy sauce. It's pretty much everywhere you go. I've seen it all over Europe. I've seen it in the Middle East. In any sushi restaurant I've gone to, it's there. I won't mention the name, obviously, for branding purposes, but it's got a red lid. I'm sure people will recognize what I'm talking about. But there is a low-sodium version of it with a green lid, the very same brand, low-sodium. The difference is the product with the red lid states on the back of the bottle that it contains alcohol due to the fermentation process. However, mm. in the removal of the sodium from the less sodium product, something in that process did not yield alcohol, and that is an alcohol-free soy sauce. So it's very important to look. Countries like Malaysia, obviously, they've got a massive Islamic um, community, so their products are well-labeled. They're well-certified um, by the, the relevant Malaysian halal authority, so that shouldn't really be a problem. But if you don't see that halal certification, even in Europe, read the labels. Just read the labels. Something for as simple as pesto could have... Oh, for example, I had a, um, I was given a gift recently of a marinade. And I was told, oh, it's fantastic on chicken and beef. Try it. And because it was an imported product to South Africa, I turned around. Naturally, it's my, you know, it's my, it's almost like a habit for me. Um, I'm a label junkie, but on food labels, put it that way. I always read mm -hmm. the labels. And I was mm -hmm. about to open that product, and I thought, you know what, I haven't read this yet. And I, I looked at it. In fact, it was so tiny, I couldn't really see the writing. So I took a photograph on my cell phone, and I then zoomed in to read the ingredients. It had pork lard in it. So pork lard was the binding agent in a tomato-based marinade. And I thought, wow, okay, just as well, I did not use this in my food. You know, and I obviously tossed it away. But, I mean, those are things we need to look out for. The small print is there. It's there for a reason. But... Internationally, just remember that if you're buying a product in a supermarket, the label must always have the ingredients. If you are in a restaurant, ask the right questions. Ask how it's prepared. Is it on the same grill as the non-halal stuff? And be specific about, I want my chips prepared separately. You know, just be really, really specific. And uh, they should. They should definitely comply. Because at the end of the day, a happy client is a returning client. And I think every most businesses understand that. Shafsana, okay. um, how about for someone like myself who's plant-based? What should I be looking out for when it comes to halal-friendly? Um, any advice, any red flags I should be looking out for as a plant-based 
eater? Mm -hmm. Yes, the same questions would apply. For example, you probably would assume that soya bean sauce or soy sauce is a perfectly good option for you. But then again, I've already mentioned about the alcohol fermentation that could happen from there. Um, with plant-based, there's a massive, massive worldwide trend movement towards plant-based for a couple of reasons. Environmental concerns is one of them. Um, plant-based has a lesser carbon footprint. So obviously more industry and more um, menus are trying to opt for plant-based options. And of course, a health trend as well. So, you know, incidentally, uh, when I was at the World Chef Congress earlier this year, the focus of the entire Congress was on plant-based plant-based milk, plant-based meats, you know, people um, using things like mushroom, for example, to create substantial meals, patties, burgers, that, that kind of thing. Again, if you're going in for plant-based, always ask, how is my vegetarian patty being grilled? How is my sausages being produced? How is it being cooked in your kitchen? And generally, um, I don't say assume this, do not assume this. It is a trend that people respect this and they respect allergies, they respect um, diets when it comes to vegan specifically because that is massive worldwide. So they tend to have a separate part of the kitchen where the vegan and vegetarian items are produced. So always ask them, is it prepared separately? And I think that's the, the starting point. And if it says that it's not prepared separately, generally the cold kitchen, the salad areas, the vegetables are prepared separately for contamination purposes from a health perspective, um, not necessarily a religious perspective. And I think that's where we need to draw the distinction. And when you ask the questions, is it prepared separately? If it is, yes, you know, that's perfectly fine to eat. But if it's being fried, if it's been cooked, if it's been hot, hot cooked, in a pot, always inquire how it's being done. Right. And then again, salads as well. You know, a lot of people put bacon uh, or bacon bits in their salads, little bits of fried chicken, just to add a little bit of extra bits. Um, add extra, you know, could put like a pork crumble on there to add, you know, a different flavor profile or add umami. Always inquire, do you add anything other than vegetarian onto this or anything other than vegan on this you have to be very specific thank you so much the key is being specific not being shy speaking up and asking uh when you mm -hmm. are traveling locally or abroad about the foods that you mm -hmm. have thank you so much for clarifying yeah. uh, one, more that thing, for one more thing one more thing as well mayonnaise um this, the uh, emulsifying agent sometimes can be an enzyme derived from pork as well so when it comes to mayonnaise in foreign countries i would say opt for vegan mayonnaise that probably is the safest option alternatively if it's in south africa or in a halal country it you know look for the certifying the certification if not have a look and if you see that there are codes on that product i mean look ev almost everybody these days has got some sort of phone that is enabled to get onto the internet whether it's an android or an ios phone you can generally get onto google you're going to find that there's codes on there it might be e045 e065 just get onto Google and Google those codes to see exactly what they are. So you know that, you know, and the international bylaws will show you exactly what those codes mean and what they contain, whether it's got pig enzyme, whether it's got other enzymes in there. Um, and then you make your decision accordingly. So, you know, uh, I would say that's what I would recommend. In fact, that's what I do, not just overseas, but in South Africa as well. Ah, interesting. So we've, we've chatted so, to you hearing and learning so much and I think both myself and our listeners will be much more well informed and educated and empowered to make the correct choices and not have that shadow of doubt cast over their holidays 
uh, because being unsure or not or being afraid or shy of asking, but really to speak mm-hmm. up and to be specific. So thank you so much for that, Chef Sana. But if we could just turn that slightly uh, back, the focus back just to your campaign, your, your, your passion about creating this awareness, about speaking up uh, both in the Muslim communities and in the wider culinary circles about this whole halal friendly and it being halal. Why did you feel the need to speak up uh, about this topic? I mean, there, there are Muslim chefs. Um, you've brought mm-hmm. this topic up. It has ruffled some feathers both amongst Muslims mm-hmm. and in the culinary world, perhaps. Uh, why, why the need? Why do you feel the need to speak up about this? You know, there's a couple of things here. Um, first and foremost, I'm a Muslim. And if I see anything wrong, my deen teaches me to stand up for righteousness and to set things right as far as it is within my power to do so. If I had seen things like this behind the scenes and then seen Muslim people coming in and eating it, I would be failing in my duty as a Muslim, first and foremost. I would be failing not just to Allah, but to my community, you know, and it's, it comes down to, to really highlighting it and letting people know exactly what goes on behind the scenes. Have I ruffled feathers? Yes, I have. Why? Because I also know that there are Muslim influencers out there, some of whom are my friends as well, that go out to non-certified halal establishments, they eat food that may not necessarily be halal because the restaurant is halal friendly and I've already Mm. said there is no such thing as halal friendly secondary to that I work in a an industry where there's not only Muslim people there's a wide range of people of all different religious denominations and cultural group we are very blessed to live in a country like South Africa where we've got so much of diversity but with diversity also comes a massive educational aspect where we need to learn about each other's countries sorry about each other's cultures, why we do the things that we do, why we pray the way that we do, why is halal so necessary for us? You will be amazed at how many people don't even know what a halal is. I had a quality, a qualified chef contact, contact me on WhatsApp asking me, could I possibly send her a recipe for a halal curry? And I said hmm. to her, what is your idea of a halal curry? She said, the mix of masalas you would use. And I thought to myself, no, that is not it. It comes down to education about you need to understand the basics of what halal is. So one of the things, inshallah, you know, I request that you and your listeners make dua for me to come right with this campaign. I really want to create a movement where I create, first of you know, some sort of a culinary uh, education for, for professionals within the fields. Muslims and non-Muslims, to get the basic education about why halal is so important to the whole consumer, not just in South Africa and for our community here, but also because chefs generally travel worldwide and we also have international consumers from, uh, you know, the halal consumer base coming here to South Africa as well. And as chefs, we need to cater for people appropriately. And, you know, you know, talking about ruffling, ruffling feathers, I have industry colleagues that have what they term halal-friendly restaurants. So by me coming out and saying, don't eat in a halal-friendly restaurant, it's almost as though, you know, they feel I'm saying, don't go to my restaurant because I'm not producing food the way you want me to. It's not that at all. It comes down to education. And by me speaking out about this, it was totally intended to, number one, educate the Muslim consumer about what really happens behind the scenes in a non-halal certified restaurant and what the options are if you have to eat in that restaurant, how can you go about ordering a meal that you can be feeling comfortable consuming and comfortable knowing that it's been prepared according to your requirements? And number two, the idea behind talking about was 
to say to others who are not aware, hey guys, this is a huge community here. There's massive spending power right here. It, in the food industry, yes, it very much comes down to, to money in any industry, in the travel and tourism industry as well. Just the figures itself, knowing that the Muslim consumer globally spends in excess of 200 billion US dollars in travel and tourism per annum, that's a staggering amount. And establishments really need to get behind this and say that we need to educate ourselves and provide the right meals for the right people. And this is why I think in Europe specifically, or in countries like Japan, there's a massive shift. They've understood this potential. And they've also understand that they're Muslim people in every country in the world. And these people need to actually be catered for accordingly because ultimately they are your future customers. Absolutely. We make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants you an abundance of strength, health, ongoing enthusiasm, the vision needed to bring this project to life fully, both in South Africa and abroad. May Allah use you as that ambassador of the deen through this means. And we are so excited to hear about this and very much looking forward to doing a follow-up with you. Um, and, 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 and yeah, as you continue growing and expanding with this campaign and this vision that is so much needed. May Allah make it easy and successful for you. Ameen. Ameen. Inshallah, I would really appreciate all of your duas and thank you for all of them as well. And if any of your listeners would like to get in touch with me, whether you want advice or whether you want to know, okay, how do I do certain things when it comes to asking the right questions? What are the questions to ask? Everybody is more than welcome to reach me on social media. You can find me on Instagram at chef underscore Zana, that's Z-A-N-A, actually short for Farzana. Um, and also you can find me on Facebook at Chef Zana as well. And I'd be happy to assist you and point you in the right direction. And uh, yes, inshallah, share the knowledge that I have. And uh, may I add to, you know, you, you all making better eating decisions over the Christmas holidays, um, the, the festive season, and also safe travels to all of you. May Allah grant you a wonderful, safe, peaceful holiday season with your family and loved ones. And uh, inshallah, connect with me on, on Instagram and Facebook and let's keep the communication growing and rolling because the only way we can share the information is through communication. Alhamdulillah, absolutely. Uh, Chef Sana, it has been such a pleasure learning from you today. Truly feeling empowered to make better choices for ourselves uh, because ultimately how we eat reflects and is impacted on our faith, our connection with Allah, our ibadah. Jazakumullah khair for your time and we make dua for your success as you take this campaign forward, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair. Could I possibly add one more thing? So when people generally hear about halal or talk about halal, they naturally assume that it's halal food and beverages. I would like to put it out there that it's not only that. Islam is a way of life and however you choose to do things is up to you and your relationship with your creator. But ultimately, when it comes down to halal, halal is also where you stay, where you, you know, place your head down at night. What type of a hotel is it? Is it, um, is it halal safe for you? Um, how do you do business? Do you pay your suppliers on time? Do you pay your staff equally? Do you treat your staff equally? Do you talk to them with respect? How do you treat the people around you that are making your business work? You know, all of that is halal. All of that. And uh, that is something I really want to raise because I think people need to be aware that it's not just halal food and drink, 
but it's literally everything in how we communicate with people and how we project ourselves, how we um, conduct ourselves. At the end of the day, we are not just Muslims. We are part of a, a an ummah, and our responsibility is to have that halal outlook in every single thing we do because it's so important. It's, it's what makes us Muslims. It's our belief, and it comes right down to the essence of what Islam teaches us, to treat people fairly, to pay your supplies on time. And the reason I say this is you'll be surprised how many people are actually Muslims, and they have those halal certifications in their restaurants, but they don't pay their supplies on time and they mistreat their staff. So that is something I really want to put out there, really, really. From a halal lifestyle perspective, it's all-encompassing. It's not just about food and beverage. Absolutely, and perhaps that's something we'd love to do on a separate program with you in 2023, inshallah. We'll have our producer chat to you on that because we'd love to bring up that and talk more about the halal lifestyle with you, someone who's well-traveled, uh, who's worked and lived abroad, and to bring that important uh, message home for us on our station, inshallah. Farzana Alvarado, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you today, Chef, and we wish you all the best for the future and look forward to chatting to you on so similar topics inshallah in 2023 thank you very much for having me on assalamu alaikum Today we're talking to Chef Farzana Alvarado, known as Chef Sana, on social media. Uh, Chef Sana is an international chef, a member of SA Chefs Association, a guest lecturer, and uh, chatting to us more about what it means and the concept of halal friendly. Chef Sana gave us some fantastic tips, very practical tips on what we could do if we're traveling within South Africa and abroad when it comes to making uh, your food choices. Um, and, and choosing uh, when you talk about eating halal, what does it mean? What are some of the things we should look out for um, when we're ordering our meals, when we're chatting to um, the chef, when we're finding out about our food, really making, helping us make informed decisions, really takeaways from it. Be specific and don't be shy when querying about your food, about your, 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 your intake. Alhamdulillah. May Allah make it easy for us. May Allah make us of those who are proud to be Muslim, proud to live a halal lifestyle, inshallah. Join us after the break as we come back with you with more reflection after this. Stay with us. Alhamdulillah, we were speaking to Chef Zana before the break on the topic of halal friendly, about your dietary um, uh, requirements when you're traveling locally and abroad, what to look out for, what to ask the chef about, what cautionary measures to take. Alhamdulillah, lots of gems and tips and you can always play back to the interview to learn more about that and to, to take note and share with others as well. That brings us to the close of this week's edition and with that, our reflection for today is that you know when it comes to the, the the emotion of guilt many people talk about their struggles the mistakes the sins the addictions the regrets that they have and there is one issue one emotion uh, that threads through almost every struggle with what a person has and that is incessant guilt and the guilt of these individuals is rooted in another belief their inability to forgive themselves what they did or are struggling with and so we turn to the Qur'an and we learn in Surah Nisa, Surah 4, Ayah 27, the Ayah, Allah wants that He turns to you in forgiveness. 
Our message today as we conclude this program is don't let your guilt, your inability to forgive yourself or the way other people treat you be what makes you think that Allah doesn't love you or want to forgive you. Turn to Allah. Allah wants to accept you. So allow Allah's love to enter your life. And with that, we come to the close of another edition of Living the Legacy. Please let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the new year on our programs. And we'll include that in our selection for topics, inshallah. Drop us an email to hana at radioislamlive.com. And until we meet again on a future program, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.